I'd like to welcome on the show our next podcast guest, Alexandra Berry. She is the founder of the Siblings of Murdered Siblings Foundation. Welcome to the show, Alexandra. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Uh, this is a bit of a different interview for the podcast for our normal listeners because I normally interview domestic abuse victims, but I believe your cause is one that needs to be heard, so I'm so excited to have you here. Awesome. Yes. Thank you. Of course. So let's just begin with your background. Could you tell us a little about yourself, please? Um, I am uh, Alexandra, and I'm born and raised in South Florida. I'm 31 years old, single, and uh, a dog mom. Awesome. <laughs> As I mentioned before in the introduction, you are the founder of the Siblings of Murdered yes. Siblings charity. Could you explain when you started this charity and what do you do within it? So I formed the group initially on Facebook about two years ago. Um, going through this journey, when my brother was murdered on November 17th of 2016, I felt so alone and I had no support, like very little support other than family. You know, my family is just as a mess as I was. So anyhow, I was on other sibling groups for grief, but I noticed there were some other members too that were dealing with homicide. So I figured why not make a group dedicated just to us. So I came up with the name of Sibling of Murdered Siblings. And um, today we're almost 400 members strong around the U.S. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, And this, like, year alone, I gained, like, 67 members within the past two months. That's great. That's awesome. So it was in 2016. That is actually pretty recent. Yes. On November 17th in 2016, my brother James Berry, who is 21 years old, um, broke up with his girlfriend at the time, Melanie, over um, a breakup. So he did it via text message within a game. Yes. And, um, yeah, it's his first breakup ever, first girlfriend ever. And he's 21. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, she, Melanie, she came to the house and she waited till everybody was asleep in the home and, um, talked to my brother in person, grabbed a 12-inch butcher knife, and when my brother said, I don't love you anymore, to her, to her face, according to her confession, uh, that's when she was enraged. She grabbed the knife and stabbed him nine times and um, stabbed him the last time in the chest where it was definitely, you know, it was game over. She wanted him dead kind of thing Mm -hmm. she went home she showered she kept the clothes that she killed him in and then she fled to maryland and um she left her cell phone on scene and that's how, how you know we kind of put the pieces together of what happened here my brother was a good kid like he didn't hang out with the wrong people he right was going to college he worked two jobs he was supporting my mom too good kid you know um anyhow she confessed to the crime on the 21st of november she was arrested and um she gave the evidence to the police and everything she willingly did this 
Oh my gosh. And your family, did you guys suspect her before the confession you did? Yes. Um, we did just because she showed some signs of something's not normal in her head. You know, mm-hmm. um, they broke up before months prior and she was threatening to kill herself to the point her mother came to my mother's house begging my mom and my brother for my brother to continue the relationship with her. And then another incident that we had, like another, I guess, like a red flag for everybody listening. She was extremely jealous of every single person my brother was friends with. Every person. Yeah, that's not good. They had to do everything together. Right. Same college course. Like, same college teacher. Same thing. No way. Which is abnormal to me. Anyhow, there's a friend who expressed um, his concern to my brother about Melanie. And, of course, your first relationship, you really don't know any better, and you're going to tell your significant other about the conversation your concerned friend had, right? Absolutely. My brother did that. So, she had the brilliant idea to grab a gallon of bleach, and she poured it in my brother's best friend's fish tank, which he lived in the home with my mother my brother as well, so it was more as like a roommate, friend, everything. Yeah. So, anyhow, um, two days later, she told my mom, oh, I killed the fish. What? Any remorse, nothing. So she's obviously, there's something wrong with this girl from the start. Yes. Like, not okay. You guys had to go through court, you know, the court case is what I assume. I honestly, I am so in shock right now. Like, I I don't really talk to someone who's had a murdered family member or a a murdered friend. So I don't even know, how do you even go through that process? Like, what was the next day like? Were news, was there, were the news, the newscast was probably all over your family? Oh I'd... my goodness, they were camped out in front of my mother's house. Oh my gosh. For at least three days. They literally were camping out in front of her property. like. And your mom's already in shock. I mean, everyone's in shock. Can you have to deal with that? I just can't imagine. Yeah. Oh, I had to. There's a few times I had to call the media and politely ask them to stop airing my mother's address. Yeah. Every time they had a status check, because we did get a lot of media attention because it's a breakup. They're young. She's Cambodian. He's American, even though she was born here. It's like a rare, it's, I wouldn't say rare, it's so common today, but it was such a unique, I guess, case Right. media. Um, so yeah, every time they would air the case, they would advertise my mom's living address that's where the crime happened you know and I get it it's I've learned unfortunately the media takes these stories and exploits them even with the family's not consent unfortunately that's what I always assume when I see these things on the news that I'm just like why are people bombarding them with cameras when they barely can probably take what's going on at the moment yes so yeah like the first year after she was arrested i'll just give you the breakdown um so after she was arrested it was kind of a relief to know that she was behind bars 
But at the same time, like, your mind is just so in shock. It is, like, the moment I got the phone call from my father around 1230 at night, my whole world stopped. Everything. My whole, my reality, the fact that I'll never be an aunt. My my brother will never have kids. He'll never have a family. He was robbed from life. And... You know, you're just trying to understand why, 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 just why my brother kind of thought process. Why of course. My family. And then the first couple months, you're, you're, the family of the court system, like, we had the arraignment, um, I want to say it was like December 11th. So a couple weeks later... Because she was in Maryland, so we had to um, get her extradited back to Florida. She attempted to try to fight that, but didn't work out, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> and um, she pled not guilty. And that at, even she confessed. Remember, she confessed. Yeah, that's why it's weird. Yeah. And then her family, her uncle hired a private attorney um, from Miami. He used to be a state attorney before he became a defense lawyer. So he really, you know, had a good backing. He knows the system. Yes. He's well known too, apparently. So anyhow, um, every 60, 30, 60 to 90 days, you have status checks, you have court hearings, you have this, you have that. You know, you you have to be at the courthouse at 8.30 a.m. in the morning and Beat traffic, hope that you get there on time sometimes. It's very stressful. Just even having to see the individual who committed the crime. It takes over your life. Totally. Oh, totally, totally. Took my first year I couldn't work. Yeah. I I just couldn't. I couldn't do it. I couldn't focus. I was so worried about, you know, what to expect, you know. And then it took about a year, almost two years for us to have our first trial. And we are fortunate from other families that I speak to that I've met here locally. Really? Yes. Unfortunately, we're fortunate because of how quick the case went for us. The average case in Palm Beach County usually takes three to five years. I had no idea. Wow. It's unacceptable. Yeah, absolutely. It's just the way it is. Our first trial, we had ended up getting a mistrial unfortunately Mm -hmm. Um, that was a mess it was very disappointing because there's so much overwhelming evidence that this being presented to complete strangers you know the jurors it should have been like a slam dunk but um one of the jurors that was on our case was wrongfully selected so for example when they have jury selection, everybody has assigned seats, so on and so forth. Yeah. The um, the bailiff or the guy that the officer, he, like, says to everybody in the room, come in, come out. So the last seating, at the end of the day, the officer said, oh, to everybody, don't worry about sitting in your assigned seats. They're going to pick out the last jurors. There was two Mrs. Greens in the room. The wrong Mrs. Green walked up, and um, she, throughout jury selection, demonstrated that she really wasn't for police. She wasn't, you know, she was very opinionated about like we. I just we knew we didn't want her to be on our trial. Oh my gosh! You know, yeah. 
things she was saying. So anyhow, um, the next day we start the trial, the judge, the defense lawyer, the state attorney, they all realize they have the wrong woman. I cannot believe so, this actually happens, like this kind of error. Yeah. Oh, such a simple human error. The What happens is either A, we can restart the process, or B, we can continue if both parties agreed, which was, you know, a good thing, I guess, because I'll, I'll get to the end later to why it was kind of like a weird, you know, yeah, thing. Yeah, right. But, um, so we start the trial, they had opening statements from the state attorney first. It was such a powerful moment in the room. And then they had the defense lawyer. They tried saying my mother's boyfriend, um, killed my brother. That was their argument because he was a butcher and was past career life. This is mind blowing to me. Yeah, like they'll do any, they'll say anything in court. That's what I realized with defense lawyers. Like, you're under oath, right? But you can take anything, any one thing, and blow it up to whatever you can. I guess that's their job, but I just it can't is. imagine this. Yeah, no, it's unfortunately their job. Um, their job. Somebody explained to me to because I would get really angry with defense. This guy, the defense lawyer. I'm like, how could you put up, how could you defend somebody who committed such a horrific crime? Exactly. You know, how do you sleep at night? Somebody said to me, you have to look at it like this. They're making sure the state is doing a good job. True. True. And I was like, okay, 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 I guess, okay, that makes sense. I get it. Yeah, it makes it bearable, I guess. Yes, it does. It makes sense. So after like the opening statements, whatever, we start getting into the evidence. Juror, one of the jurors, he couldn't handle it. He was going to faint. He was elderly and he just couldn't take it anymore. Like he told the judge, he's like, your honor, like if I continue, I'm going to faint. Like I cannot do this trial. So that's when the alternate juror, which is the lady I spoke of, she then became a part of the case and participated in the rest of the trial and what caused ultimately a mistrial because she couldn't agree with everybody else in the room with second degree murder with a weapon. The one lady. There's always that one person. Yeah. That's frustrating. So, So yeah, that happened. And then almost a year later, we well, a couple, I would say maybe not a year, maybe like six months later, we had our second trial. It went quicker. We didn't deliberate for a day and a half like the first trial, thank God. And then the second trial, we got a guilty, um, guilty verdict of second degree murder mm-hmm. with a deadly weapon. Wow. And um, that was January, I want to say January 6th of last year, 2019. Mm-hmm. And then we had our sentencing April 3rd. And thank God we had, you know, a really, we had like a really supportive, like a judge, our judge was really supportive of the family. Um, you know, I had a lot of people writing letters for my brother. Yeah. I, you know, made sure, like, I was advocating for my brother on Facebook. I was keeping everybody, you know, up to date, up to date with what's going on in the case, you know. And then we had over 30 letters of people that loved my brother write 
a letter to our judge saying, you know, please uphold what the maximum sentence is allowed, you know, with the law. Yes. And um, we got 50 years for her. Wow. So. I was going to ask how long is she in there? Yeah, 50 freaking years. So by the time she gets out, if she doesn't want on appeal, because we're doing that now, um, she will never, she won't be out until she's 70 years old. You know, I'm, that's great. I'm happy I you guys found her. justice. I mean, I feel like a lot of the time it's just never solved or people don't even get justice. No, it's true. It's true. Especially we are so fortunate in our case because she was a first time offender. She's a female. And right. she's young. A lot of the times these individuals get a slap on the wrist. Ten years, five years, not even. Oh, no, I would be furious. Oh, yeah. Fast forwarding to now, I mean, losing someone to murder, especially your brother, it's something I really can't even wrap my head around. This whole story is shocking me, but I know many people in my life who have lost siblings to certain situations like car crashes or other tragedies, and they struggle day to day with it. My, some of my best friends have lost their siblings to those type of things, but I mean, how do you even begin to cope with the trauma that's created after losing your brother in that way? Well... A lot of self-love and a lot of therapy. Yeah. The first year was just a big blur, to be quite honest with you. You, And even the therapist told me, because I started therapy in April, and they say usually it it takes some time for you to even, like you can go speak to somebody, but it's not going to sink in because of the trauma being so overwhelming and so fresh, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. Just continue to do cognitive sessions. And then I found that wasn't enough for me because I was severely depressed. I definitely had suicidal thoughts, unfortunately, because you just want to be with your, you know, your loved one. Sometimes you just want to visit them. Um, and then I was diagnosed with complex PTSD on top of that. And, um, yeah, fun stuff. So there's something called EDMR trauma therapy. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I have not. No, it's a deal breaker. It is a game changer. It saved my life. It is pretty much where you're with a therapist. They're like, you want to make sure you have a licensed therapist too, because there's some people out there that claim that they are and they're not. And it's really important because this, what she does, she takes the trauma on a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like on a scientific level Mm -hmm. where she uses rapid eye movement and, um, she'll pinpoint like when you're looking at her she'll pinpoint certain areas where you have to look and she'll ask you do you feel the trauma here 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 whatever in your brain really and then yes like you sit down you you go through that moment that traumatic event you talk about it you relive it and then she does whatever with her hands and on the next day usually like well actually after the session you go through like you try to recall it and it makes it where you can't recall it and it's true like yes there's memories that used to run through my head all the time like a movie playing over and over and repeat yes 
that doesn't happen to me anymore. Thank God. Yeah, I've never heard of that therapy. I want to research it after this. What's it called again? It's called EDMR. EDMR. Trauma therapy sounds very complex uh, yeah i've never heard of it but i'm glad it you is. found it i did everyone's different i did about 16 sessions it's a lot um how often do you go <laughs> i did every weekend uh-huh <laughs> i did it in the summer well, i yeah. started in the summer and i ended up finishing um in the fall and then occasionally if i feel the need you know, if, like, something happens in my everyday life these days, like, I'll go and just do a session about it now. Because um, when trauma happens, a lot of the time it just gets stuck in that process in your mind. Absolutely, yeah. Well, that's so, that's good you found yeah. it. I mean, yeah, I feel like everyone needs to try different things and whatever works because I can't even imagine, begin to imagine what you feel inside. Oh, yeah. The grief, it's never going to go away. No. And my therapist explained that to me, too. Like, it's always going to be there. We can do as many sessions as we can on the trauma, but the grief is never going to go away. Mm-hmm. So that's the flip side. Um, you know, so the only side effect I will say with the EDMR um, is you will have, well, a lot of, I shouldn't say will, some people have nightmares. Um, like the night of the session. That's the only, yeah, that's the only side effect. Other than that, you're good to go. It helps you a lot, for sure. Yeah, other than that. Well, that's good. Thank you for answering that. Rewinding back to your charity, um, I'd like the listeners to learn a little more about it. So again, it's Siblings of Murdered Siblings, and could you tell us what you do within it? Do you just link other people together who have been in the same situations? Do you provide anything for them? What exactly do you do? We do a lot of things. So what we what we do now, because we're like in the beginning of this journey of becoming an organization, we are an organization now, so a lot of beautiful things are happening. Yeah. So we have social media um, for you to get connected with everybody throughout the world. So we're on Facebook. It's a private group. I do accept siblings cousins and friends okay so i do reach out to cousins as well because i found they too have nothing there's very little resources for them and they matter you know we all matter right so parents they actually have parents who murder children which is another organization they're covered um i see so we also send out survivor care packages so that's the unique part of it. Um, I reimburse for their court fees because a lot of the times, unfortunately, we have to pay for parking. We have to pay for like, we have to pay like the certain states have like different fees. We even have to pay for crime scene cleanup. No. But the care packages, they have items from house stress falls. I put a candle to help, you know, keep you cool, calm, and collective. I provide a seat cushion because the court benches are extremely uncomfortable. I have adult coloring books to help, um, you know, just distract Anxiety, yeah. Um, I have a journal, so if you need to take notes, you have questions for your state attorney, your victim's advocate, whatever it is, whatever's on your mind, you can write it, because a lot of the times, like, you can't have your cell phone in the courtroom. You can get kicked out. I have pocket, like, tissues, um, gum, 
protein bars. I have a lot of different little items. And that's amazing. And custom shirts, too. No, that's um, amazing. Depending if, like, they send me a picture of their loved one and, you know, um, we do that. We also do petitions. So if, you know, somebody needs help in our group, you know, like to write a letter to the judge or whatever the case is, like, we do that. Um, eventually, we want to have local chapters. That's our big goal. I see. Um, I was going to ask, yes, what's your goal? Yeah. Well, my, my big goal is to have us locally, you know, in different cities, have the opportunity to physically meet each other and talk about, you know, whatever it is once a month and do a fun act- activity together. Right. No, that sounds amazing. I will say, like, the relationships to have with people that are in the same club are so crucial to recovery. They yeah. are so crucial. I can imagine. Um, you know, I'm like... <sighs> It sucks to say this, but sometimes people that aren't in this reality that we're in, they just don't know what to say, and they mean well. It's just what can you say, but you just want to help so bad, and you do feel for them. But you can't even, I can't, I can't begin to put my emotions in that position at all. I do feel so much sympathy for you. I think you're an amazing person, and I honestly want to collab with you with our charities if you ever want to. I think it's just, it's a great purpose. And I haven't heard of anything like this for a charity. I feel like there's so many charities in one niche. And I have never really came across this niche before. It's great what you're doing. Yes. Thank you. No, I really appreciate it. You know, my thing is, my brother will never be here again. You know, he won't. And I want to keep him alive as much as I can. And he loved people. He loved helping people. And I feel like he lives through me, you know, by doing this. Of course. And these items are what help me survive. And if I can make this process a little bit easier for the next family, because violence isn't going to end. It's not. Yeah. It's always going to be here, even when I'm gone, when you're gone. Like, it's going to continue, unfortunately. And I want my organization to continue when I'm not here. And it will. So that's... I have some serious goals to cover here. You know, so far everything's working out very well. Um, I want, you know, the world to know that we're here. That's the main thing. You know, um, it's all word of mouth right now. Everyone finds us. You know, I have faith that this is going to go as far as you want it to. It's all about what you put into it with your heart. I truly believe it's just people when you're doing something with your heart, like people want to connect with you willingly. You don't even have to spend money on advertisement. It just happens if people come together. So I'm glad that you came on here and I hope that all the listeners, they're going to feel for you. I can't wait to link you with them and send you all the messages I receive. What's your, what's your brother's name? James. James. Okay. James. Well, I hope that doing this makes you think of him and I know he's here with us and I know our listeners will pray for you and pray for him and we're definitely here to support you so thank you so much for coming on today thank you so much for having me I really appreciate it I appreciate you all right so we'll be in touch for sure okay yes all right you have a good one Alex nice meeting you thanks meeting you too thanks so much okay bye-bye